What is happening, everyone? This will be episode 67 of the Strength and Success Show. I think I forgot to look at the number, but I'm pretty sure it's 67. And it will be titled Easy Decisions, Hard Life. I am just waiting for Riley to jump on board and she'll hop on and send me a joy request. We'll get started. Remember, you guys can ask questions on the live. We have questions that people have sent to us from our story Q&As. There's Riley. Through. All we're waiting, you can get thick with it. <laughs> Let's see how the traps look in the day. Oh, there they are. Hi. First, traps. <laughs> <laughs> I like to beat everyone. This is episode 67, right? Yeah. All right. This is. Uh, easy decisions, hard life. I'll explain that one in a second. How are you? Great. I'm very tired. You're very what? Tired. Tired. <laughs> Have you tried trying? <laughs> <laughs> So those who are aware of our weekly and daily going on, because neither one of us really posts too much of our social or our own personal life on social media. Um, we were at a meet this weekend, working the meet, refing, emceeing, putting things together. Riley was coaching. I was coaching. So you were at many weekend and absolutely fatiguing because not only we work in the meet weekend, but then we then have to double up work programs beforehand. And then afterwards, we got to kind of double up training. So instead of starting our week on Sunday, casually like we normally do, we go like five days, Monday through Friday. So by the end of the week, we're like, <laughs> but I have ring pop. <laughs> oh, there you go. Strawberry kiss. Look at that. It's going to work. Perfect. All right. So episode 67 of the Trinidad Show. You guys have sent us Q&A stories. Riley's is every Tuesday. Mine is every Wednesday. The podcast is brought to you by Culture Nutra at Culture Nutra. Make sure you follow at Culture Nutra. And we're going to talk about this is actually a uh, Winston Churchill saying i'm a big fan of quotes and motivational speeches and taking things from them and remembering them not just hearing them starting them but i started out a winston churchill poster for two years post back injury with train it was right in front of the squat rack and it said if you're going through hell keep going people have put like a little biblical quote below that which i hate but i just love that expression of not that i hate the bible i'm sorry but i just hate that they took his quote and added something on top of it but if if you're going through hell keep going the, the point is that you know it's not you're not stuck but he goes on further in another speech, and he says, easy decisions, hard life. Hard decisions, easy life. And that really resonates with training, with work, with business, whatever you have to do. Because if you're always looking for the easy way out or the easiest decision or the least conflict, you're going to find it's going to come back to you as a very hard life. And really, with training is people always finding the easier version of a movement or the easier version of an exercise. I'm all for an efficient version, an efficient movement, but there's often times where people don't want to go out of their way to set up a lift or we'll do something they can do without a belt or without straps and do it with the straps or with the belt because it's easier or more comfortable and easier in hands. And you have to think in the terms of every one of those easy decisions is going to make a harder result as far as getting a better total or getting stronger because you've taken the work out of the workout, so to speak. Um, the other day I was, in the, I was in the gym and I still have my straps on from the snatch grip and I was putting heavier and heavier load on the bar for rows and my instant thought was the straps on I'll just grab it with the straps and my second thought was well that would be easy this is an opportunity for me to build my grip it is deload I should not need freaking straps on deload for the for bent rows you know that kind of thing and those are just little examples of how we often don't think about taking that easy road or that easy decision makes it harder and harder and harder to progress because we keep looking for the easier and easier way out. And it's a tough position to be in to say, hey, 
let me make this harder choice. Let me make this more difficult. Let me make this more challenging because it's going to pay off in the long term. And people don't see the long term they see right now. Best example of this is how many clients have we put in things like seal rows or certain types of work? And they're like, well, I want to set that up. So I did this instead. It's like, but you didn't want to, you didn't want to proceed that. You didn't want to make a result. You don't do anything. I understand if you're in a very confined space, there's not things where it wasn't available. I've had that where athletes like I couldn't floor press with a barbell because the rack was taken. So I did double floor press. Cool. I get that. But if you're in a situation where you just didn't want to do a movement because it's a pain in the ass while well, you're choosing you're not choosing the work, you're not choosing the hard life. And it was put in there for a specific purpose. Not harping on steel rows, it's just in general. It happens all the time. An example of this, um, another one. Front racks with a barbell, fucking Front racks with an SSB are really, really easy. I will use both, but I'm always going to want to choose the front rack with the barbell over the SSB. One, it's a true front squat. And two, let's know where my shoulder mobility and my wrist mobility's at. And if I'm choosing the easy road or the hard road. There's so many people who can't front rack a barbell and these are the same people that complain when they bench that their shoulder hurts or their back hurts or they can't hold their squat position. It's because you keep choosing the easier road instead of actually doing the work to get a better life. Go ahead. I ranted fast. <laughs> uh, yeah, though, I, I see this a lot with athletes where they choose the accessory. I swapped this for this because this one was kind of like you mentioned, like, like the seal row is a big one. I feel like that's one that people are always like, well, I swapped it for this. They're like, I just did a bent over row instead. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad that you still did a row, but the whole point of the seal row is that there's no leg momentum, that it's all upper back, that it's paused at the body, like that it's, it's supposed to be more challenging. Most people can go heavier with a bent over row than they can a seal row. So like, you know, uh, you're choosing the, you're definitely choosing the easier road. And if there is an intent, and like we've talked about before, like all of our programs, every movement that you have has a specific intent for it. And if you're skipping those things, or you're not doing them, or you're going over them, and, you know, saying like, Oh, I'll add them on the other day, the next day, and then you don't, you're missing part of the intent of the program that was written specifically for you if you're receiving individual coaching. Um, another thing that I think of, like, uh, I've been, I've had a lot of tough decisions and a lot of not so easy roads like my entire life. And I'm pretty thankful for those things because it's taught me so much and I've learned so much and I've grown so much from those things. And if you're constantly taking the easy route or like the easy road, because it is, uh, it's uh, available to you, you're never going to learn the life lessons that you need to. Like, I generally find that people, um, you know, we talk about like, like street smarts, quote unquote, or whatever. But like, you never learn like the valuable lessons that you need to if you're constantly taking the easy route, like this is in life, this is in training, this is in business, whatever it may be. Like, in general, the people I find that the people that grew up harder, like they had more difficult challenges to face and those kind of things, they tend to be a little bit more street smart, I guess they have a lot more life experience, they have more things that they can say, like, Oh, I've been in this situation before I know how to I know how to handle this or um, I know how I should approach this because I've been here before and I messed it up before and I can get it right this time. So I am always a fan of like choosing the harder decision. Um, and sometimes it sucks and sometimes it takes you a long time to like make those decisions. And sometimes you have to, you have to fast track things or sometimes you have to wait for the right moment, but like generally making the tougher decision is usually the right one. Um, and uh, I, I, I like the, you kind of mentioned like being efficient. And I know a lot of people say um, work smarter, not harder. 
And generally when people are saying that, it's because they are doing something the easier way. Like I hear it a lot in the gym where they're yeah. like, harder, not harder. I'm like, well, the whole point of being in the gym is working hard. So yeah, cool if you're more efficient, but if you're not working hard, you're kind of missing the whole point of the workout for you and of movements. So like in a life sense, I feel like taking the harder route allows you to have more life experience. It gives you a little bit more of those quote unquote street smarts. Um, it just allows you to know how to handle situations in life a little bit better when things do get like flung your way because crazy stuff happens all the time. And if you've never been in a bad situation before, and you've always like been spoon fed everything, you'll just automatically be like, I don't know what to do. And you just freeze. You don't, you don't have any, you have no uh, past experience on how to like get through a situation. And if you're taking the easy route in the gym all the time, you're going to be disappointed when you're not hitting those goals that you wanted within like the first, you know, within like a year or two years, whatever, however long your goals are, like you're going to be disappointed because you are not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing because you're too lazy. Like that's what it comes down to is like, if you're choosing the, if you're choosing the easy route all the time, you're lazy. Sorry, that sucks to probably hear. But like, if you would rather, skip your seal rows, like we'll continue with this uh, example. If you continue, to, if you just skip your seal rows all the time, you're lazy. Like just, if you, if you stop doing your accessories, you're lazy. If you are supposed to do three sets, you only do one, you're lazy. Like that's, it's like, it's literally that simple. Stop being lazy and you won't have to be, you won't have to worry about the harder decisions later on, or you won't have to worry about the repercussions later on if you are just motivated and do the things that you're supposed to do. It's not hard to do the things that you're supposed to do. The people who always go that extra mile and choose the hard decisions are never the ones who ask you, why am I not progressing? Right. It's always the ones who shortchange themselves are going to look for that excuse because they have no self-accountability. And it's always the ones who are shortchanging going, why am I not progressing? And it's really, really tempting to say, because of, but you don't. <laughs> you have to kind of skirt around and be like, well, how consistent have we been? Have we been eating properly? Have we been sleeping properly? Hydrating properly? Have you shown up every day? I know you were sick recently, blah, blah, blah. You know, you come up with a little bit of a softer way of getting them to realize that they've been shortchanging themselves. But the people who work hard, and you mentioned, you know, work smarter, not harder is a really stupid expression. Not only do you want to be smarter, but then you want to add your work ethic on top of that because smart work done really, really well is going to get you farther than just being smart. You know, being smart is great. It's like being talented, but talent without any work or, or hustle is going to go nowhere. Um, and you're exactly right about that. The people who do this, people who make those hard decisions, those are the ones who have resilience. Those are the ones who have patience and those are the ones who have progress. So if you don't do this and you find yourself constantly shortchanging yourself, but it's just one set, the rage of standard, it's just one set. This is kind of, a, this is easier. You're settling for less than you're capable of and you're convincing yourself that not working hard is the way. When everyone who has any of success will tell you they showed up every second of every day to make that happen. There's no such thing as an overnight success. These people take 10, 15 years. You just heard about them for the first time, but they've been hustling for years. And that's the mindset, not always easy to do, but that's the mindset you have of, you know what? No, I'm not going to go myself. In fact, I'm going to make this, I'm going to add a pause. You know, it's the loop, but I want to feel like it's effort. I'm going to take my feet off the floor, that kind of thing. If you want to make it feel effortful, make it effortful, but making it feel easier is a guaranteed fast track to less progress. I know that um, from like a female perspective, a lot of women are always like, well, I want to be as strong as like, like Hunter is a great, is a great example. They'll always be like, I want to be as strong as Hunter Henderson. Hunter does things that uh, you wouldn't be willing to do. Like that girl works uh, a very demanding, like on-call job and she'll like go, she, I know that she's like, when we did the podcast with Greeno, she, he mentioned that like she would leave in the middle of a workout because she was on call and come back and finish her workout. 
how many people would actually come back and finish their workout and what they're supposed to do? Like she pushes herself every single session. And like, there are plenty of other women that do that, that are really, really strong, but she's just like the prime example that I think of because she's one of the strongest and everyone's like, oh, I want to be her. You probably don't have the work ethic to be her. Like, unfortunately that is like a tough pill to swallow, but you probably don't have what it takes to be her because she has been pretty much a fighter her whole life. Like she's had, I know that she had cancer when she was really young and all those things. So she's really resilient and she's like, I'm, I'm tough. I can handle this. Like, this is no big deal. Um, so the people that haven't had to face any tough decisions and always take the easy route are not going to have that resilience to push through in order to achieve the things that they want to achieve. Like she has, like, like I said, there would not be many people that would leave a workout at 6 PM and then go work on call and then be off work, get off work at like 1 AM and go back and finish their accessories. I don't know anyone. She does. If you want to be like someone, behave like someone. And I don't mean their personality. I mean their habits. So if you want to be like that person, behave like their habits and you'll become that person as well. Yes, absolutely. Let's get to some questions. There is one quick one from Lloyd. I am Knives who competed last weekend. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Lloyd was in a crazy motorcycle accident. Apparently like died twice and has like half of his leg missing. It looks like a shark bit it. Sorry, Lloyd. It's true. Uh, he's a dick dangler. He'll tell you himself. But he went, I think, like nine for nine. <laughs> he went nine for nine again, and he literally comes with the back pocket and then smashes it. And he wants to know, quick question: How hard is it being that fucking awesome? He's obviously talking to you because I'm, you know, just in your shadow. You know, today, <laughs> and I'm like, dang, how am I going to handle all this awesomeness today? But somehow, I magically do it every single day. You just show up. <laughs> so, congrats to the Lord. Always a big fan of the podcast, big fan of all the educational videos. And, um, uh, well, he'll tell you himself what he is. When we get back, feels attacked. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> all right. Let's see what we got here. Convention. We're looking for questions. All right. These are a lot. I'm scrolling through. There was a lot. Okay. There we go. My feelings, though. All right. So, what's our first question? Okay. How to win the mental game of lifting? This is really very on topic for right now. And we just pretty much discussed the brief discussion of that is, is don't look for the easy way out. Don't look for the softer landing. Don't look for what's going to be comfortable. This was never going to be comfortable. The way to win the mental game of lifting is show up and not just show up, but commit for five years, 10 years, 15 years. The reason why people struggle with this is they have the expectations, like you mentioned, Hunter, they have the expectations to be at that level in year one or year two or year three. And for 99% of the population, that's not how this goes. A lot of people may come from other sports and they're already strong or they have a muscular base and they can progress in powerlifting much faster in one year or two years and get to that upper level. The rest of us who have a little bit less of a genetic appeal or sports background, it's gonna take more time and it's gonna take more commitment, but really most importantly, it's gonna take better habits. A lot of us come into the sport and half-ass it at first and treat it because it's just fun. It's community. Everybody in the gym's doing it. We're all going to do the same meet. We have a pizza party every other Thursday. That's not what this sport is. This sport is a commitment to bettering yourself. And over time, you're going to better yourself more and more with better nutrition habits, better sleep habits, better biomechanics, better movement under the bar, better tenacity, better training partners. You know, notice I didn't say better gym equipment because that doesn't matter. Those people who've had PRs on rusted barbells. But it's one of those things where the more you commit to the sport and the more you commit to yourself, more importantly, that's how you win the mental game. When you know you've done all the work necessary, then, you have then you'll have confidence in the number you put on the bar. 
if you've half-assed yourself, short-changed yourself, taken the easy road, you'll have zero confidence in what's on the bar because you know in training you slacked. That's why you lack confidence. You lack confidence on that PR attempt because you didn't do the work you were supposed to do. And all of a sudden that bar is loaded to what you wanted. You said you wanted this 12 weeks ago. You had 12 weeks to do all the work. You didn't. So if you've done that work for 12 weeks and committed for just that 12 weeks, you're going to have the confidence. Now, if you turn that into 12 months, two years, five years, imagine how far you're going to get because that's how you win the mental game is you fucking commit. So, um, I have a couple of thoughts on this. Um, we said before, like practice how you play, you know, like as far as like if you have key, if you have access to kilos, um, if you're supposed to pause your bench in competition, like those kind of things today on my way to the gym, I actually saw a post from um, Kyle from compound performance. And he actually, he was talking about how like his coaches for his son's, I want to say soccer team. Um, and how he like found some takeaways from like how the coaches were coaching the soccer team. And in Kyle's caption, he wrote, um, actually, play how you practice, like the opposite way. So like, he's basically saying like, you're supposed to be training hard. You train hard. So that way on game day, it's easy. You've already set yourself up for success. So like, I like how I like practice how you play, because obviously, like, we have standards that we have to um, live up to in competition, like you have to pause your bench, you have squats depth, all those things. Um, it's on kilos, so practice on those. But I really like the perspective of play how you practice, because if you're consistently lazy, like Trevor's mentioning, not doing, if you're half-assing things, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing in training, that's what you're going to get up on the platform. Like, you're not just going to magically give 100% when you've been giving 50% for the whole 12 weeks that you've been in prep. Um, so I think that, like, even though, even though training can be really draining sometimes, you know, like, we all work, we all have families, we all have whatever, we have lots of things going on. And like a lot of the times, especially if you're someone who lifts later in the day, a lot of the times if you get to like five or 6 PM, I'm sure you're excited to lift, but also like the last thing that you want to do is probably lift because you're already tired, you know, and you're exhausted. So you go in there and you just kind of go through the motions rather than giving like full intention to it. So you are teaching yourself to practice lazy. Therefore you're going to play lazy. Um, so I think that like being hundred percent intentional with your lifting is probably the best way to win the mental game because then like Trevor mentioned you're super confident you're under the bar you you've trained for this like that's what prep is you've literally trained for however many weeks so that way you can go on the platform and it should be easier it's only nine lifts total for the whole day you know so like, that should be the easy part all you have to do is show up and lift the weights that you've been doing for the past however many weeks the practice should be the hardest part um I that now I I uh, I have like conflicting feelings about this aspect of it. And it's like the need for validation and the need for confidence and attention seeking and whatnot, because I do think that this is a great confidence booster for a lot of people. Like it's very, very, especially for women, it's very, very cool to be strong, to be able to do a pull up, to be able to do a push up, to, you know, hit that benchmark of 135 uh, bench press or deadlift 315 or whatever, like whatever it is, like that's very cool. And it's a confidence builder. But I think what a lot of people do is that they are constantly seeking validation and attention for doing the bare minimum. Um, and I think that that makes it harder when you have a tough day. So as far as like winning the mental game of lifting, like you're probably going to have more tough days and you're going to have easy days because it's supposed to be hard. This sport is literally hard. You're supposed to be going, you're supposed to be testing your true max strength. Like you're not, it's not like, I'm going to be casually strong and just lift what I can lift every single day. It's like, I'm lifting the maximal amount that my body is capable of handling on me day. 
Um, and I think that a lot of people, they are searching for the validation and they will do the absolute bare minimum of what they're supposed to be doing. Like they barely hit their calories or they like did their workout, but it was like an RP seven across the board. So they didn't put any intention through it. And then they like, you know, maybe sleep six hours. Like they're doing the bare minimum of what they're supposed to be doing. And then they're like, praise me, give me, give, give me a pat on the back. Be my cheerleader. You're doing the bare minimum. Congratulations. Like that's, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I think that that is like, kind of it, it's bothersome to me sometimes because I do come from that sports background where my coaches were assholes. Um, if I did the bare minimum, that wasn't enough. You know, it was like, you cool, you did the bare minimum, um, do more. How are you gonna get better if you don't do more? So yes, we are building confidence and we want to feel good and we want to feel confident when we're lifting. And yeah, we do need some validation every once in a while. And we do need to be like told you're doing a good job. But like, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, I'm not going to give you a pat on the back for doing those things. Because then when you have a tough day, you have no resilience built up for that tough day. You're gonna be like, wow, I've been, I've been doing everything that I'm supposed to, which is the bare minimum. And now I had a really tough day. And I don't understand why I'm having a tough day. And I'm, you know, I just, I want to quit. You never built up the resilience. So for me personally, I'm not a cheerleader as a coach. I will tell you you're doing a good job. You know, I'll say, hey, you did really good work. You know, like I'm proud of you for pushing through. I'm proud of you for, you know, all your life stress and still showing up. But if you went to the gym and you're like, I did my workout. Cool. That's what you're supposed to do. Congratulations. <laughs> it's your goal. It's makes where they go office space. You know, 15 pieces of flair is the minimum. <laughs> you got Brian over here. You got 32 pieces of flair. <laughs> exactly you're you're exactly right people are looking for validation from this and you're not supposed to seek external validation means of motivation or satisfaction you should be internally validated by the work you're doing and the effort you're putting and you should be proud of yourself that's what's going to get you farther in anything all right what's our I next don't, I don't... oh go oh. sorry i don't mean to come like <laughs> Because every time, whenever you're voice, if I go to talk, it'll like cut out my voice. So, <laughs> shut. Um, but I, like, I don't mean to come across as like a dick saying that, like that people shouldn't want validation or whatever. But like Trevor said, like it shouldn't be external. You should be internally motivated because uh, these are your goals. These are what you wanted to do. And if they're not your goals, then you're never going to achieve them anyways because it's not what you actually wanted. So I don't mean to come across as a dick there and make it seem like... Um, you know, praise and all that kind of stuff is bad because it's not. It's just, I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass. I'm not going to tell you you're a shining star just for the sake of saying you're a shining star. Uh, you know, like, do something with it. Um, push yourself, you know what I mean? Like, you have to push yourself beyond just that standard baseline in order to achieve the things that you want to achieve. We got a question from Lloyd here that follows up with that. And it's, when is a good time to do extra work versus not a good idea to go off program? And when we talk about effort and doing the minimum, we're not talking about going off program. It's more a matter of if you have in your program planks for 90 seconds and you hold it for 95 or, you know, um, sorry, I just lost talk. But, or if you know you have extra mobility needs and spending the time doing the extra mobility work after you finish your main barbell work, it's not necessarily adding 10 or 12 extra exercises. We don't want that because that's going to add more fatigue. But it's really being diligent about, about the things you have to do. For example, that if you have an ankle mobility problem and you're only loosening your ankles before you squat, you're still gonna have that ankle mobility problem. So if it's a recognized problem for you, it's something that needs attention 
daily. That's not adding a shit ton of exercises. That's just adding in daily ankle mobility because wherever your lifestyle is contributes to the tightness in your ankles. If you have tight shoulders, just loosening them before you get to the squat bar isn't going to keep them loose forever because you're doing it once a week, maybe twice a week. But if you were to add that daily, that extra work, it doesn't take a lot of effort, three minutes tops to add shoulder mobility into your daily routine. That's the kind of effort we're talking about. It's not adding a shit ton of exercises. It's adding more effort to the things you need and working harder at those things is what's going to make you better. And that's not going off program. That's actually doing more of your program because I put in daily homework for athletes. Riley puts in daily homework for athletes, but you can usually tell who does that because the problem tends to just disappear. Um, a good example of this, like if you have a bench press variations and it's not specified paused and it's super, super easy for you to like, oh man, this is really easy. Doing them paused, even when it's not specified pause, is going to make it more challenging out of it because that's what we do in comp is we pause them. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't recommend really ever going off program. The people, the clients that go off program all the time, one are super annoying and two, like never actually make any progress because they're consistently going off programming and not following the plan. There's, it's a plan for a reason. That's why, that's why we write it. That's what you pay us for. Um, so I don't necessarily recommend going on program. Obviously, like every once in a while, you know, people have like deadlift parties and whatever, and they just want to pull a max single. Cool. Just let your coach know ahead of time. You know, like I've had plenty of clients that are like a week out. they are like, Hey, they're going to throw a deadlift party at my gym next week. Do you mind if I send it? Sure. I'll probably deload your deadlift the next week. But if you just are constantly going off program and like, you know, it's, um, what is it? Uh, ask, ask for forgiveness. What, what is this saying? It's easier to beg for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. Yes. So <laughs> that's, uh, you know, like if you do that, like that's annoying. You know, like I, I've had clients in the past where like, it's like every week they go off program. They're like, well, bench felt really good. So I pushed it. Well, squats felt really good. So I pushed it. And then like two weeks into the block, like the next block, they're like, I'm really tired. Huh. I wonder why. <laughs> it's <laughs> Accurate. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. How to determine correct supplemental movements to use? Uh, and I really like the term same but different for this. So supplemental movements, we're identifying them as either strength builders. Or, so if it's a strength builder, supplemental movement case for a point might be, you know, for the bench press, might be close grip bench press, one board, two board, uh, wide grip, you know, it's what's the need within that movement. So if somebody's weak off the bottom, chances are you're going to want some extended range of motion. So it might be flat back benching, it might be wide grip benching, it might be buffalo bar benching, where you're increasing the range of motion to work on their pecs. If they're struggling with tricep portion, it might be one board, two board, three board, whatever, to overload the triceps with a closer grip or split it with a closer grip so they can load the triceps to the mid range and so forth. You're looking for a mechanically similar movement within that need. Now, if it's going to be something where that muscle group just needs to come up and needs more muscle size, then it's going to be something that's going to be a little bit higher, more time and attention. So it might be things like four times 12 dumbbell presses or um, weighted dips with a range of like 12 to 15 where you're adding in more time and attention for that specific muscle group. So when you're looking for supplemental movements, what's the individual athlete need within that movement? There, and I hate to call it a sticking point because really it's not a sticking point. It's just a weak muscle within the range. That's what's going to need the most attention. That's what's going to need the most work in that particular block or the subsequent blocks that follow that. So you should be picking movements that are either strength builders for that or muscle builders for that. Uh, oftentimes, especially for the raw power lifter, the majority of the muscle building work is usually done for the supporting muscle groups. What I mean by that is, say, for example, bench press. The majority of the muscle building work is done for back work or tricep work, you know, or shoulder work to try and build up more size within that musculature. 
Uh, Ryan, I talked about this often with the prison pump for women, you know, adding more muscle mass to the back, adding more muscle mass to the shoulders and triceps through pull-ups, push-ups, dips, and so forth will really bring up a, a female lifter's bench press because they don't tend to have a lot of upper body mass. So if you can increase that upper body mass, you're decreasing the range of motion and adding more potential for strength. So you're going to look at it from that aspect of what's the individual athlete need and then categorize it from a strength builder first and then a muscle builder second in the priority of it. This is actually a this is my favorite part of the seminars, mostly mm. because of the part that I talk. Um, but <laughs> so um, wait, I got you. <laughs> I said so you love. You I said so you love the sound of your own voice. It's a good voice. It's, it's not bad. <laughs> Have you heard how I say hello? It's great. Um, but uh, like, <laughs> what? I'll Throwing like root beer box. <laughs> Look at that face. <laughs> Listen, I can't help my accent. All right. <laughs> Which one you do? It's fantastic. Uh, okay, so this is my favorite. Like exercise selection is my favorite part about seminars, um, and it's like actually specifically what I asked to talk about because I feel like it is. Damn it, Melissa! Root beer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so anyways, um, okay, so I asked, like, when we were doing, like, seminar things, I asked to talk about exercise selection, because I feel like it's something that people generally don't put much thought into, and it's, like, it is really, it's super important, like, we've, I, we've mentioned it, like, three times already in this episode, how you have a program written for a reason, you have exercise written for a reason, because exercise selection is not random, or it shouldn't be random. Um, but your supplemental exercises and your accessory movements are all going to be based off of where it is that you lack in that movement. Um, for example, right now, um, my chest is the weak part of my bench press. My triceps can lock out probably anything uh, like at this point like we've tested it with like jam presses board presses like my triceps would, are fine they will lock out anything it's my chest and the stability off the chest that is the most challenging part so my day my bench days are generally focused around my chest like i have dumbbell incline presses i have dumbbell flat presses um i have arnold presses right now because not only is it like building my shoulders but then you actually have to come together and squeeze the pecs um to contract and it's it's not random. Like the things that I'm doing are supposed to be helping me. So choosing the right exercises are very, very important. You don't just choose things that you like. Um, you choose things that are going to help you. You choose things that mimic the areas that are not great for you in the squat. Like if you know, if you know that you have a hard time with your torso, like keeping your torso tall in your squat, I will program things like pause front squats, slow eccentric uh, tempo squats, like high bar. Like these are all things that are hammering your torso strength and like holding your pattern. So that way you can improve that with your competition squat. After that, I'm gonna do other things that improve those. So maybe like a zerker split squat because when you hold zerkers, you're holding it low to your body. You have to stabilize your torso. You have to stabilize your core. Um, and you're also getting the added benefit of like hip stability. So it's not just choosing things that sound good or choosing what is the cool exercise on the internet right now is choosing things that are going to benefit you. Um, I would probably not, I would probably, if I was programming for myself and I programmed what I wanted to program, I would probably not be progressing at all. Cause the things that I want to do are like snatch grip deadlifts, which I'm already good at. So it doesn't matter. Uh, 
SSB JM presses, my triceps are already strong, it doesn't matter. You know, like those are not things that I want, that I need to be doing because I'm already good at those things. So programming things that are hard for you are probably the better option because if they're hard for you, it's probably because you have a weakness there and that's what you need to improve upon. So you probably should be doing the things that you suck at. Yep, very specific. And you brought up the, the JM press, uh, the SSB JM press where the handles were moved out. I, if I want to say, remember correctly, I think your, your four rep PR is like 215 but your three rep PR for actual bench press with a pause is 215. So it's like you can do one extra rep with the JM press. Shows how strong the triceps are versus the stability in the pecs and so forth. So it's just an interesting standpoint is like, what do you like to do versus what do you need? And if you're really, really strong or really, really great in exercise, chances are it shouldn't be a priority in your program because it's not helping your weakness, your area of opportunity. Correct. Yeah, and that's it. You're, you are correct. My JM press is stronger than my bench press. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> I remember when we posted that online and you did it. I think you like Dawson Williams who benches like five hours like, damn, I can't do that. <laughs> Just shows how strong her triceps are. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. For low bar squats, chest collapses right at or below parallel. What are the causes and fixes here? A couple causes. One would be very poor shoulder mobility. People who tend to be naturally internally rotated tend to also drive that into the bottom. So they hit the bottom and they're at their most elongated position through the torso. They'll shoulderly internally rotate. So for them, sometimes the compensation can be just as easy as going thumbless, going wider, going through a talon grip or the pinkies under the bar or so forth. Those compensations will allow for the shoulders to stay in external rotation as opposed to internal rotation. Uh, that's not for everybody though. And oftentimes when you're using a compensation, you're not necessarily fixing the problem. So it would be a matter of strengthening extra rotation of the shoulders, improving shoulder mobility so you can hold and rack the bar better, changing your bar position. Some people just try and take that bar too low or too close for the, for the mobility they have. The other issue there oftentimes is losing your brace. If you've lost your brace in the bottom and you've started to tilt your pelvis back into lumbar, um, lumbar extension, What's going to happen is when you run out of stability, your body's trying to find it somewhere else. So if your pelvis is unstable, your body's not going to affect the shoulders, and your shoulders are going to internally rotate because it's looking for a way to stabilize under that load, and it's not going to happen. So you have to work on your ability to brace and brace throughout the entire range of motion. That's where things like front squats, zercher squats, and so forth really, really help because you're focusing on the pattern of staying on your quadriceps, not trying to load your lower back. That is a big difference in the mechanics between multiply and single ply versus raw is we are lifting from our anterior chain, which is bracing and quads. They're lifting from their posterior chain because they're riding the rhythm of the suit. They're using their lumbar spine, they're using their hamstrings, they're using their glutes and using their erectors to sit back in the suit and leverage that suit. Without that suit, the biggest key for raw is being able to be stable in the deepest possible position. Long pause work helps there, front squat works up there. Riley mentioned pause front squats. Those are brutal, but they're very, very effective for teaching how to maintain that pelvic stability and bracing in the hole. Bracing probably can clear up 90%, like improved bracing can probably clear up like 90% of people's problems. Like, that, like that, that tends to be what majority of it is, especially with the squat. That's what we tend to lose the most is our brace either going into the hole or coming out of the hole. Um, so that's always my perspective on it. I also notice, and you mentioned this with like shoulder mobility, I also notice like a big influx of people really, really trying to like jam their hands as close to their fucking shoulders as they possibly can and they um so their hands are so close that they're they're you have no room to like move at all so whenever you're going into the hole or coming out of the hole you're literally pushing the bar forward onto your neck and traps 
and then that's causing you to fold because you have nowhere to move like when you move when you go down to a squat and stand up like your body is trying to move through external rotation and internal rotation in a lot of different spots so if you're jammed up here and your shoulders don't have anywhere to go and externally rotate to come up you're going to just push the bar forward onto your neck and then you're going to fold in half um i see that one a lot like that's that other than like bracing that's the thing that i see is like the lack of shoulder mobility to hold the position that they're holding so it's not that like your shoulder mobility is trash and you can't hold the bar at all and you should only be do like whatever but you don't need to be jammed up so tight here to feel like you can have a good position like you can open that up like one to two finger lengths and have enough lat tension have enough tightness stability under the bar without rolling the bar forward like i know that it feels tight like i and this is what people normally say, like, well, I feel really, feel really jammed up again underneath the bar when I do that. I'm like, jammed up is not what you want to feel. You don't want to feel jammed up. You want to feel stable. You want to feel strong. Like, jammed up to me does not sound good. I don't want to be jammed under the bar. Um, so I feel like that's one thing, like, those, that's one thing that I see. So like, way too close of hands, um, pushing the bar forward, it's rolling, there's no bar control. And then the bracing is obviously, like, 90% of the issue. So, yes. Yeah. Brandon says we got to bring you back down a lot and you don't need to give me a reason to eat Whataburger, man. I'll be there. <laughs> Damn Dr. Pepper milkshake. <laughs> so good. Uh, so good. Maybe one day when travel is not like three times the price of what it should be, we'll head back there. So right now it's a little wild. Yeah. All right. What's up? Okay. Have you or would you ever program power building? So I know this is a term that a lot of people like. I don't particularly like it because every program I write, unless it's like a three day hyper specific, you know, high frequency program for somebody has a, an off put schedule, there's a ton of power building, power building so far. And I love the Jim Wendler quote from back in the day, you know, it was uh, power building. It's too fat to body build, too weak to power lift kind of thing. You know, strength is very specific and he's right. You know, power building means you're not a bodybuilder, you're not a power lifter. Uh, if you want to have more hypertrophy work or size work in your off season when you're away from the comp or just to de-stress a little bit, that's cool with me. You don't need to call it power building because if you're a power lifter, literally the first word in the sentence is always power. You're always power building. That's the freaking goal, to be more powerful under the bar. If you need more size work, then simply say that I'm in a hypertrophy phase or I'm in a work capacity phase or something like that. Power building is not my favorite expression because anytime you have accessory work that's above six reps, it's hypertrophy work your so-called power building or bodybuilding or size building or whatever you want to call it. I don't care. But would I write a specific power building program? No, because I hate the expression. Would I write a power building specific program that has hypertrophy work in it? Absolutely. Every single one has it. Yes. I 100% agree with all that sentiment. Um, you know, like as I used to train bodybuilding before I did powerlifting and I find that my workouts aren't too much different <laughs> than when I was power, uh, when I was bodybuilding, like, other than the fact that I have compound movements first, you know, like my accessories are generally in that high rep range, unless I'm in peak, but they're in that high rep range of 10, 12, 15, sometimes 20, because my coach hates me. Um, <laughs> Strongly. <laughs> <laughs> but I find that if you, I know that for me personally, like when I write accessories, they are generally eight plus reps minimum of three sets, most of the time four sets. 
if you are not getting a benefit from your accessories in that point, you're probably not pushing them heavy enough, in my opinion. Um, like if they, if it's just, if your accessories are really easy and you're breezing through and you don't feel like you're building anything and you have hypertrophy rep ranges, you're not pushing them heavy enough. Um, I strongly like as well. I understand the thought process of it. I understand what the lifter means when they say it, but I just really, I just, I don't know why. I just really dislike that saying. Um, it is just hypertrophy. And majority of those people do hypertrophy directly after a meet. Like the first block after a meet is all hypertrophy, even the compound movements. Like the first four weeks, the first two to three weeks, I generally have lifters go from like tens to eights and then down to sixes or something. Like it progresses down to like get their conditioning back or whatever. But if you're far away from a meet, like it's likely that you'll have minimum of one to two weeks of hypertrophy rep ranges, even for your compound movements um, in a program that I write. So I don't necessarily see it beneficial to tell you that I'm going to write you a power building program when it would be the exact same as if you were paying for me for powerlifting coaching. So you mentioned a word compound movements that's really the difference maker between powerlifting and bodybuilding is the overwhelming focus of movement for a powerlifting specific program is on compound movements there's a significant amount more volume and isolation isolated movements in a bodybuilding movement you know you're going to do a lot more single arm or lat pull downs stiff arm pull downs pullovers curls extensions and so forth with higher volumes for very specific muscle groups with bodybuilding. So you're doing significantly more volume at submaximal lows for more time under tension and squeezing and holding for peak contraction in bodybuilding versus our, our whole goal for powerlifting is rate of force development, strength, and potential strength is a small amount of muscle size added over time. It's not quite the same. So if you're blending the two, you're gonna be subpar at both. And that's what people don't understand. Like a generalist is good when you're growing up and you're developing because you're gonna get a lot of spatial awareness and physical skill. When you get to a point where you're competing in one sport, you want to be as specific as possible to that sport. The more generalized you become in your training, the less specific your skill set gets. So trying to become unspecific isn't going to help you very much if you have specific goals. I also I find that like good powerlifting programs also have isolation and unilateral work anyways. Like that's something that I always have in. Like you always get a unilateral movement, whether it's upper body or lower body. Um, you get the isolation on the specific muscles that you need. It's not the main focus. It's probably your fourth or fifth movement because the first three are the ones that are hammering the uh, weakness for the compound movement. But like a good powerlifting program has all those things. So yeah. it's, I don't, I don't find it to be much different. And it seems like you don't find it to be much different either. It's just a buzzword. It is a buzzword and it just makes people feel good. I'm currently in a power building phase. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> well, if you don't know, it's not doing shit for you. <laughs> we number one thing we talk about is just being intentful. So if you don't even know the intention of your program, what is it? Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question. Um, meal planning, help, and suggestions. Meal planning, help, and suggestions. So, um, I'm a very simplified cook not very great at it. Riley will go a little further than I will as far as making actual individual meals and things. I tend to just broil a lot of chicken and broil a lot of steak and chop them into my portion sizes. If I need carbs, there's like microwave bags of rice that take 90 seconds to cook, you add them in and then you just put teriyaki sauce on top of it and it's amazing. Couple of that with like oatmeal and protein shakes and glam cookies and pro dough, I'm good to go. A couple of protein bars mixed in here and there. I, I do like simple, even though it's not the easy way, or sorry, it's not the hard way. I do actually make fresh foods and do things. Um, 
One of my favorite meals that does take me a little bit more effort is just doing like egg white stir fry. Sometimes I'll add steak on top of that where you just put in like liquid egg whites, the rice in there, mix it, cook it like scrambled eggs, add whatever seasoning you want. I usually put like a teriyaki sauce in there and mix it together. So I have egg white stir fry, it's proteins, it's carbs. Uh, if I put a whole egg in there, it adds fats. Or if I put the steak in there, it adds fats. And it's really, really simple to make. And it's really, really easy for me to clean up. It's one pan I got to wash and I just throw it into the tub for whatever leftovers and microwave it. Um, I'm not a fantastic cook. You're never going to see me chop vegetables. One, because I don't want to do that. And two, because I don't like vegetables. But uh, as far as easy meal plan, the easiest thing you can do is know what foods you like to eat that, you willing, that you're willing to eat consistently. Meal planning is about consistency. So if you know what foods you like to eat consistency, consistently, I like steak, I like uh, chicken, I like rice, I like certain sauces like barbecue teriyaki. Um, I can make meals that match that, that match the macros I need. And they're not difficult for me to prep or make. The only time it's difficult is if we're traveling in a hotel, I don't have access to that stuff. But if I'm home, I will eat probably 90%, 95% of my meals at home and only a couple out here and there. I don't mind making those things. Oatmeal is, is very convenient for me. It can come in single serving packets or you can use the tubs. It's cheap. Eggs are very easy to make. Steak is very easy to make. Chicken's very easy to make. Those rice packets are clutch. Um, if you like to add more vegetables, the grocery store literally sells bags of frozen or chopped vegetables that you can just microwave and throw right in there. It's not as complex as people make it out to be. They just, again, don't want to do the work. So if you don't want to do the work, you can find them pre-cooked that all you have to do is microwave and put them together in the macros you need. Yeah, I definitely think that people overcomplicate this and it really comes down to like make what you know that you will eat and make and choose to make what you know is what you know you can make like based off your schedule you know what i mean like some people have busier work schedules so they're gonna have a harder time um possibly meal prep i am <laughs> i do not like tupperware food i am a princess when it comes to that and luckily for me i work at home so i don't have to worry about like being gone and not being able to meal prep and whatever but if you are someone who likes to eat out of Tupperware and you don't mind eating out of Tupperware, you pick one day and you make all your food for the whole week. That's it. And like that really is as simplified as you can make it. Um, I will cook each meal fresh if I have to. I've been getting a little bit better about like I will eat some chicken from Tupperware <laughs> if it's been in there only like one day. Um, but I'm just really weird about it. Uh, but like that's you just you pick one day. Most people it's Sundays. Sometimes it, whatever day you have off that you don't have anything going on. Pick that day, make that day your meal prep day and just prep foods that you know are very easy for you to eat, like foods that you like. Um, if you're in prep and you're trying or you're trying to lose weight or something like obviously chicken and rice or steak and rice is really boring. So find yourself a cool sauce that you like, like change it up with the sauces or the seasonings. There are so many sauces now that are like zero calorie or like low sugar, sugar or whatever. Like there are so many options that you can make it taste more appetizing than just plain chicken rice. Um, but I do think that this is entirely overcomplicated. Like it really just requires consistency. Like you can't eat five meals one day and two the next and then four the next and then one the next and six and expect to see any sort of consistent result, whether it's gaining or losing. Um, so whatever you do, make it fit your schedule, like figure out your schedule, figure out what times you can eat. If you can only eat three meals a day, then figure out how to get your calories into three meals a day and then go from there. Like, okay, I can only eat three meals a day. These are the calories that I need. How do I break that up into three meals? What do I like to eat? Um, how do these fit my macro goals? You know, so like, it's a, it's, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It really does not have to be. Um, you can still make healthier food taste good. I 
much rather enjoy being on plan and eating like consistently similar meals rather than like traveling all the time. Like, yeah, pizza is delicious. What a burger is delicious. Like traveling, getting to try all the new food is delicious, but I can only do that for like a weekend. And then I'm like, okay, I'm ready to like eat normal again. Um, I still eat things like glam cookies and I still get to have like fun things of like whatever I want. I still eat Cheez-Its, you know, like, but I have to make those fit into whatever it is I'm eating. So I'm creature of habit when I'm on a plan. It's like generally uh, for breakfast, it's like English muffin or bagel, turkey bacon, um, maybe a protein shake or some fruit. I just depends. And then I usually have like chicken and rice or I've been into like making chicken tacos with like veggies on them uh, recently. I like overnight oats. In the oats, I put a scoop of protein. I do some fruit on top or granola or whatever I want on top of the oats. Um, I have a glam, I have a quarter of a glam cookie every every training session, post training, protein shakes. Like it's just, it doesn't have to be so complicated. Like just make it foods that you like and just eat them in the portion sizes that you're supposed to be eating them in. Prioritize your protein, and you will probably see the results that you like. Uh, you you mentioned. Sauces, that's literally like the only thing that ever changes in my diet structure is what sauce I'm using. My fridge has got five different sauces and my cabin has like four different spices and it's the only thing that ever changed. It's the same food. I mean, you're going to have a protein source, you're going to have a carb source. It's just how you flavor it that changes. Yeah. All right, what's our next question? Uh, thoughts on activation exercises between sets for the main three? Oh, I really like this question that came through in my story Q&A. And this is one of the I, I mentioned. It's a is if you like doing it and you feel better to do it. There's a lot of people who will scientifically poo-poo on it, like, oh, activation doesn't work, warm-ups don't work, stretches don't work. Who gives a shit what they think? If you feel better physically and you like doing it and it gives you the confidence of the bar that you want, do it. Do it to the cows come home. Do it to your blue in the face. I don't care. Never let anyone make you feel smaller for the things you like to do and you enjoy doing that. It helps you lift better because you're doing this for you. I don't care what somebody with a white lab coat says is more effective or not effective because chances are they lift like shit and they're not very strong anyways. If this makes you feel better under the bar, not only do I want you to do it, but I want you to do it often because it makes you feel better under the bar. And if you feel better, you lift better. This is one of those really dumb out there on the internet that people are like, oh, you don't need specific warmups. Oh, you don't need activation drills. Oh, you don't need foam rolling. Maybe scientifically you don't, but if you perform and function better psychologically because you've done it, then I want you to do it. And I want you to do it every single time because I know I'm getting the best of you because you've done it. Instead of telling you, you're wasting your time, you're not doing that, yeah, maybe I can prove that. But you know what? If you're psychologically prepared to lift and wanting to, you're gonna be stronger. You're not a small batch study that involves 12 people for 12 days. That's just not how life works. We all have individual differences. We all have individual stressors. And for some people, that's like a, a, a switch flip. You know, like Riley mentioned earlier, you can be working all day and the last thing you want to do is lift and you get to the gym, you're sluggish and you go through like four or five activations and are like, wow, I feel so much better because motion is lotion, then do it. That's not happening in the clinical setting. The clinical setting is very black and white. There is no gray area in the clinical setting. They're trying to prove or disprove with very concrete values. And life is not like that. Life is always a gray area. So if it feels better to you, please do it. I will encourage you to do it more. Yeah. There... I, I just feel like this isn't this such, such an individual thing, you know, like there are some people who do nothing and they just get straight underneath a barbell and they warm up by like going from bar to quarters to plate, whatever. And there are some people that do 10 minutes of warm ups and they do activation drills and whatever. And like, I don't know why anyone cares so much about what anyone else does. I just, I, I don't understand. Um, 
I'm going to do what feels good. Like generally what I do when I go into the gym is like whatever, you know, if I have squats, I'll start with my warmups and then I'll go squat the bar. And then whatever feels tight when I squat the bar is the next movement that I do. So if my calves feel tight, I may stretch out my calves. Or if I feel like, um, you know, like my external rotation is poor, I'm going to go do some drills for that. Like I just, I have to, I like to do my warmups. I like to get under the bar. I like to see what still feels tight or if it feels fine, I just keep going. But I just don't, I, I just really don't get why people get so their panties in a bunch about what other people are doing. I didn't realize that what other people did affected your day so much that you felt the need to go tirade about it on the internet. That's just, I don't get it. Um, so yeah, people, if people just like to get under the bar by just getting under the bar, literally walking into the gym, putting their bag down, getting under an empty bar, that's fine. That's what they like to do. That's cool. Do it continue to do it if you're someone who likes to foam roll and you like to do activation drills cool do it whatever we all do the same thing we all swap into the lift why does it matter how we get there it's fine <laughs> i just don't i don't know i don't maybe it's because like i don't i don't um i don't allow other people's uh desires and or like preferences affect me i don't i don't know I, I i just like it's something that i can't really wrap my head around like they just feel the need to uh say that their way is the right way um and no one else's way is the right way i just don't understand that the zealot mindset drives me crazy and yes you know maybe your way is great but that's not necessarily great for every single athlete that comes on board or around and you have to be willing to adapt or uh, allow them to do what helps them the most. This is very similar to the nutrition arguments out there. You know, everyone can pull up scientific study after scientific study that a higher carbohydrate diet is better for performance. That's great. But what if somebody has a primary weight loss goal and they have psychological problems with food and certain things help them with control, for example, keto. Like there's a lot of people who certain carbs add a trigger because chemically when that's released, they get endorphins and they get stuck and they can't stop eating. So they can't do a moderated diet that's like protein, carbs, and fats. They might only need keto or benefit better from keto. I've been in this space for a long time and I've seen some people who've lost 100, 120, 160 pounds and keto was the way it worked for them. Is it the best performance diet scientifically? No. Was it the best diet for their health? Yes, because it was something they can consistently stick to. So it's really, really hard to have a definitive, this is the best way because there's going to be differences along the way and you have to understand that not everyone is going to fit in that test tube, in that vial, in that control, in that study in the same way. And I look at activation, foam rolling, or warm-ups the same way. Yes, we know that foam rolling doesn't create long lasting effects as far as mobility. But if somebody is tight from sitting in their car from their way to work or sitting in their desk all day and they foam roll their ankles and they foam roll the lats and they squat better, why wouldn't you want them to take the two minutes to do it? Why wouldn't you want what's better for the athlete to do it? Why would you poo-poo them and make them feel like shit because they got on a foam roll? Who cares? Your job is to make the athlete better or stronger if you're a coach or a training partner or whatever. So if it makes them better or stronger in that moment, why wouldn't you use it? There's not a contractor in the world who builds an entire house with just a hammer. They have an abundance of tools. Use them all. The, the, to me, even though they're trying to stand on this perch as like an air superiority, it's a really, really small mindset where they can only see one way. Yeah, I just don't, I, I just don't get it. Like, I do what you want to do. Do what feels good. Some people have an hour and a half commute to the gym. Getting on a foam roller is probably, probably is going to benefit them after they've been sitting down and, ha like Trevor mentioned, have tight hips, tight calves, whatever. Um, I just, what other people do does not affect me in that minuscule of a uh, issue. So I, I don't get it. Do whatever you want to do. Whatever makes you, you do it. <laughs>
it's, it's so amusing to me too because these are the same people who will preach like tolerance with religion tolerance with with race tolerance with sexual orientation but then have no tolerance for somebody who wants the home roll <laughs> or do an activation or a glute exercise like wait a minute you're the tolerant person but not when it comes to strength <laughs> you can't be the other you got to be all but all right that's time for this week's episode 67 you know, easy decisions, hard life, hard decisions, easy life. Apply that to everything you do and ask yourself, am I cheating myself? Make sure you're working really hard. Riley, I appreciate your time as always every Thursday. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Anything you want to add to that before we sign off? Nope, not today. <laughs> Never, but I ask anyways every week. All right, make sure you guys are following Culture Nutra. If you guys need programming without coaching, make sure you check out the Cultivating Strength program available on Train Heroic. Your first week is free. It's in both of our bios on Instagram. Make sure you support Death Before Dishonor, the shirt I'm wearing right now. And uh, we will see you all next week. Thank you, guys. Bye.